Good morning and welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church. We're so glad that you're able to join us so that we can worship the name of our great God together. I invite you to stand and join with me in the call to worship found printed in your bulletins. This is the good news. The grave is empty. Christ is risen. This is the good news. Once we were no people, now we are God's people. Christ is our We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The dead he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Hallelujah, he is Let's pray. Father, we have been bombarded this week with lies from the world about who we are and how we are to live. So often that it keeps us from trusting in the power of the gospel. This morning, may your voice of truth drown out the lies of the world so that our faith can be renewed and strengthened. Remove the distractions in each of our lives that keep the focus on us rather than you and what you desire to do in our midst. We pray that we would seek you with all that we are, trusting that we will find you, find your unfailing character, your mercy, grace, and love. And as we find you, may we discover with greater understanding who we are to become. Teach us how to live as your holy people. Use the songs we sing and the prayers prayers we offer to transform our lives. Lord, please keep this from being a show. So that as we go out today into the world, we can live and serve by your spirit and grace as citizens of your kingdom until it comes on earth as it is in heaven. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.
morning. Can we welcome you to the service? And before you're seated, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. gather for worship today, uh, there are obviously other things happening in the life of the church. The bulletin contains uh, information about a number of those. Tonight, uh, small groups resume meeting and Koinonia time of worship will begin at 7 o'clock in Wesley Chapel. Wednesday evening, all of our ministries are on regular schedule, but please know for the boys and girls clubs, there are different activities this week from the norm and the bulletin contains information about those. Next Sunday morning, worship at 8.20, 9.40, and 11. And next Sunday evening, uh, Jared Anderson will be leading uh, Koinonia Worship. Jared is the composer of Hear Us From Heaven that we've used in a uh, theme song for our prayer vigils. And uh, that will be next Sunday night during the Koinonia time at 7. There are a couple of inserts in your bulletin. One about the uh, nursery of uh, May to September. Uh, you have an opportunity to help out in the nursery, to serve the body, taking care of our little ones. Uh, college students staff the nursery most of the year, but obviously uh, many of them are gone during those months. So if uh, you could help, that would be greatly appreciated. There's a form in the bulletin to fill out. Also, information about 30-hour famine that the youth group is sponsoring. There are always uh, things for us to pray about, things related to our lives and the world. And uh, we certainly want to ask God's grace upon each of those, uh, the concerns of our hearts and minds. We're privileged today to welcome the Reverend Dr. Joey Jennings. Joey is the District Superintendent of the Wesleyan Churches in Western New York, and we're pleased to welcome him here and have asked him to share a few words with us this morning. Thank you, Pastor Wes, and it is a delight to be here. Let me begin by reading Paul's words to the Philippian church in chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So I share this, the the partnership that Houghton Wesleyan Church has had with the district, with the other churches, with the denomination has been great. And I am thankful for that. I am I have been personally blessed by that, and uh, I just wanted to come, and every time I greet you to share what joy I have for the work that you are doing here in Houghton and through the college, through these, in the, the ministry to the communities here. Paul refers to the past in here, and it says that your partnership in the gospel from the first day, and actually if we look back, our district is celebrating 150 years of ministry. The district began in 1861. And the, the church here has been a part of, of that ministry. And actually it was the churches in this area, Short Track, Fillmore, Houghton, some of the others that, that saw the need for a college and to train up Sunday school teachers, to train up pastors, to educate in, in the, the truth of, of, of God's word, but also in knowledge for what the church needed in this area. And so you have been a part of, of that ministry. 
Many of you are faculty or on staff, administration at the college or the academy have been a part and, and have given sacrificially to the work of the, of the kingdom through your jobs. And we thank you for that. I said that I've been personally blessed. Actually, this year is coming up on 30 years. I saw Coach Burke and I remember he was one of the first uh, people that greeted me and some of the people I traveled here with. And uh, 30 years ago came as an 18-year-old uh, kid looking at Houghton College this spring. And uh, so, so blessed to have spent four years here met my wife here so many blessings that that houghton has provided for me said that he is thankful for your partnership from the first day until now let me just share a little bit about what's going on in in the district the district has 33 westland churches throughout western new york and god is is working in in each of the churches actually you may see some of our churches are smaller but i I was encouraged with a blessing a few weeks back i was at a board meeting and as a, a small town very rural church here in Allegheny County. And uh, at the board meeting, one of the guys just started sharing his testimony. He said, so you would have known me probably four or five years back as the town drunk in this particular town. We talked about how the pastor reached out to him, how helped. He didn't have a license, didn't have a car. He had taken him to, to places, taken him to the grocery store. And he, he says, I remember times when I'd slipped my 12-pack underneath all the groceries in the, in the cart. And the pastor never saw that I'd gotten those. And he bought my groceries for me and brought me home. And said, I feel bad about that. But now he has found Jesus Christ. He has, is now the spiritual formation director at the, the Wesleyan Church and is on the board. And just exciting to see what God is doing. Through the, the college particularly, I've, I've looked at some of our pastors that, that are, are graduates of, of Houghton College. Uh, this, this past year, the Vine Westland Church, which is just outside of Buffalo, with Christopher and Tammy Baldwin, uh, have done some incredible work. You may have saw the, their, their church was in the news before Christmas as they did a, a campaign where they, they gave money away and asked the congregation to be a blessing to others, made national news. They, they have recently, just this past year, moved into... A church building, uh, the first church building, their church plant that have been meeting in public schools for the last five or six years and have seen their, their attendance jump from about 150 to where this, this spring they've been over 200 about every Sunday and, and have had numerous people come to know Christ. Stephen Tammy Dunmire in North Collins, Wesleyan Church, and here in a small, fairly rural uh, community in South Erie County, uh, they are doing an incredible work and have been our fastest growing church. Uh, for the last several years in our district. Uh, just something coming up in the future. There's a group of recent Houghton uh, graduates that are, have come to us and said they have a desire to start a new work in Buffalo. Uh, they're calling it the Delta Church that, that is still in, in the formation proce- process, but they're trying to reach the younger generation uh, in the city of Buffalo, and we're excited about that. We've shared with you in the past about Home City Westland Church. Uh, Dr. David Shemenda a uh, native of Zambia has come and felt the Lord leading him to plant a church, a uh, multi-ethnic, multi-economic uh, base uh, church in the city of Buffalo. And he's been building his core group over the last eight or ten months. And in two weeks, we'll be f- having their first uh, worship service on Sunday morning. So keep them in your prayers. Paul says that he's praised with joy because of the partnership from the gospel from the first day until now. But then he looks to the future. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I want to just look to the future and encourage you and challenge you to to seek what God is wanting to do.
through Houghton Wesleyan Church. You have a unique opportunity to minister through the college, through the academy, through the community here. Take advantage of the, the, the need that God has given us, the opportunities God has given us. And, and reach these people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In order to do that, I, I want to apply, applaud you for your emphasis on prayer. The Houghton Wesleyan Church has been key in leading our district to this emphasis on prayer. And we had that 40 Days of United Prayer, in many ways based on some of your prayer vigils that you have had in the past. I want to applaud you for your work and missions that, that you have, have done. But in all you do, I challenge you, don't rely upon your own strength. Upon your own resources. You may say, well, we have a lot of gifted and well-educated people around here. There's a lot we can do. It's much more. Are you relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit? A couple weeks ago, I was reading in Francis Chan's book, Forgotten God, in which he is challenging the church not to forget that third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that we so often ignore. And in our lives, we, we need to rely upon this power. He says, the world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gatherings of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different. And the world cannot help but notice. Go and rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe God will bring about him tremendous fruit, tremendous effectiveness through the work of Houghton Wesleyan Church. Know that my prayers continue to be with you. And thank you for all that you are doing for the service of his kingdom. God bless you. Thank you, Joey. And we certainly appreciate... His leadership, we are privileged to have he and Mary Beth to, in the district office. And we want to pray for them as they pray for us and for the area churches as well. That God will use who we are and what we do for his glory. I want to invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Amen. This morning's Old Testament reading is Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. 
They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join with me in singing the doxology as the ushers come forward to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Almighty God, we desire to have all of our lives be seen as worship unto your great name and to bring you glory in everything we say and do. This morning, as we give our tithes and offerings, may it become another area in our lives in which you reign as Lord. For those who give out of abundance, we thank you for provision. And for those who give out of sacrifice, we thank you for knowing all of our needs and not being limited by our circumstances. We pray that you would take our gifts and sacrifices, bless them by the power of your name, And multiply them to meet the needs of those in our world, both near and far. And by them, may we become a blessing in your eyes and in the eyes of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We have the opportunity to continue in a spirit of prayer. If you would like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, please join me. Father, it is our desire that we would spread your fragrance wherever we go. And to do so because you have flooded our souls with your spirit and life. That you've penetrated deep into us and that you possess our whole being so utterly that our life is just a radiance of yours. It's our desire that you would shine through us and that you would be so in us that every person who encounters us would feel your presence. And that they would look to you and not us. Father, this is our prayer for us as we live in this world and as we live together and for your people around the world. We pray for our brothers and sisters in western New York and other countries of the world and ask that your fragrance would penetrate every place that they are. We pray especially for the home city church as they begin their ministry and ask that you would bless them immensely. Let the light of Christ shine through them into the community. We pray for Joey as he leads the district. Give him wisdom and discernment. Give him patience and fill him with grace and courage to lead in the power of your spirit. Father, we pray for the nations of the world and the need for peace, the cries for justice, the burdens of the majority of this world. And we ask that your people will be salt and light. We will be hands and feet that represent you. And that our presence will bring righteousness and grace. Father, we pray for the needs that burden us here. And we ask that you will heal all who are ill and struggling. We pray you will comfort every grieving heart. We ask, Father, that you will give us wisdom to discern our days. That as we look to the future, we will walk confidently because you are leading us. Lord, give us a spirit of trust 
when our prayers aren't answered as we would like. And to affirm again today that your answers are always right and always best. Heavenly Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer our prayers today as we always do. In the name of Jesus, our crucified Savior, our risen Lord, our returning King, and the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's New Testament reading comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
seated. I got a note this week from someone in the church who uh, had a conversation with their three-year-old daughter, and they wanted to pass it along to me. It was Monday, and they were, having, they were talking, and the little girl said, Dad, is it still Easter? And he said, no, honey, that was yesterday. It's over. She thought a moment and said inquisitively, well, is Jesus still alive? And he sent that to me, and my first thought was, I think a lot of us view Easter like that. It is one day in the year we celebrate the resurrection, and then we move on to something else. The church fathers understood that that was something we would wrestle with and, and, and recognize that we have a tendency to think of Easter as the end of a season, when in reality it's the beginning of a season. And in some sense, it does, it is the, the, the culmination of Lent, but actually it is the catalyst for the next 50 days as we celebrate the season of Easter. And the reason for that emphasis is because we are resurrection people. The people of God are, are people who have connected themselves to the resurrected Christ. And the, and the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. That's why the church fathers said, not only do we have this season of Easter, but every Sunday of the year should be celebrated as a mini Easter. That day when we commemorate the resurrection of our Lord one more time. Because it is so central to what it means to be Christian. What it means to be a follower of Christ. And the rest of the New Testament, the whole New Testament in a sense is trying to help us understand what it means to embrace the resurrection and to be resurrection people and to live in the spirit of Easter. And you can make your way through virtually every part of the New Testament and you will find uh, words from the authors to help us be the people we've been called to be. And one of the places that we see that and the place where I'd like for us to, to focus for the next few weeks is 2 Peter. Second Peter is written uh, to an audience that uh, is unknown to us. It seems as you read the letter that these are people who Peter knows pretty well and he feels strongly about his relationship with them. It may be the same people that he writes First Peter to, but we don't, we don't know. We do get a sense as you read the letter that Peter senses his death is imminent. His execution is coming soon. And before that happens, he has one more word to send to these folks that he loves. He's concerned about them because they are being pressured from the external culture, the world. It's it's got its tentacles around them and it's squeezing them. And he's worried that they're going to give in to that pressure. But more than that, he's worried about the internal pressure being placed on them. There, There are some folks in this group of people who have arisen and are promoting heresy. And we don't know exactly what it is, but it seems that it is the first rumblings of what later becomes known as Gnosticism. It comes from the Greek word gnosis, knowledge. And there are many facets to this heresy, and you can see it in in a variety of ways as you read the scriptures. 
as, as the bits and pieces of it are poking its head out. But, but one of the things about this is that, that the people who believe in this heresy believe that relationship with God, and particularly intimacy with God, comes only to those who have discovered the secret. To those who have gained enough knowledge and have gained the right knowledge that they can unlock the door. And it's as though those people have the password to the kingdom. And they are able to walk up to the door, say the password, and the door is open. And the rest of us are on our own. Now these leaders come into the churches and they promote themselves as being... Uh, more enlightened than the rest of the congregation, more spiritual, more deep. But their theology always leads away from Christ, not to Christ. It leads away from true faith to false belief. And Peter is concerned that the people are buying into this. He's concerned that they have come to the place of thinking that as followers of Christ, as people of the resurrection, mediocrity is okay. That it doesn't matter how you live That God doesn't really care that much. He doesn't have great plans for his children. Just go about your life and do what you can. And Peter says emphatically, that is not true. God has great plans for his people. His plans for, for his people are far greater than any of us can imagine. When you look at it, just beginning here at verse 4, he talks about, though these have... Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You get down to the end of verse 10. If you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we can actually participate in the divine nature of God. And he doesn't mean by that that we're going to be God's. But we're connected to him. We have an intimacy with God. This is what God desires for us. More than just mediocrity. We're resurrection people. And we ought to be living in victory and power. And the grace of God. When we eventually get to the end of our days and we have, and we have had the power to live off the fighting of the, of the culture and the evil one against us, and we get to the end of our days, we're going to be welcomed with open arms into the eternal kingdom. And when he says you will not fall, I don't think he means you won't sin anymore while you're in this world. I think he means you can stand strong all the way to the end and not give up on Christ. Peter says that this this promise is for those who are called. In verse 10, he talks about those who have been elected, the elect. And the minute those words come into the conversation, you have a theological argument that quickly arises, right? Sovereignty of God, free will of human beings, predestination, you you have all these discussions. I don't really think that's at the heart of what Peter's talking about. And there are people who are much smarter than I am who have differing opinions than I do. But in my mind, I think that the focus Peter's trying to make here is that every person God has created, he has called to live in his grace and his blessing. 
Now, not everyone responds to that call. Many people reject God and they reject his plans for them. But God's yearning, God's desires, God's plans and purpose for every human being is to live in the fullness of his spirit. That's his calling on our lives. That's his desire for each one of us. And if we have responded positively and engaged in that, we can come to know God. We can even, as Peter says in in verse 3, we can be holy like Christ. We can live above mediocrity. We can live in power and victory. Not because of us, but because of Him in us. Because of God's grace that has been given to us. It all begins with grace. It is all about God's grace. Anything good in us, any right decision we might ever make, is because God has given us the grace to do it and to make it. It is all about God's grace. But the scriptures are continually reminding us that there is an obligation about how we respond to God's grace. And Peter emphatically makes this statement. He says in verse 10, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. One translation says, make every effort to confirm your calling. Now, when I think about make every effort, what comes to my mind is is giving everything that we have to accomplishing a task. This is this is what we want from uh, if we have if we're sick and and we don't know what the problem is. This is the attitude we want from our doctor, right? I mean, we don't want to go to our doctor and they say, well, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you. Just go home and deal with it. No, we want a doctor that says, I don't know exactly what's wrong with you, but we will run every test imaginable. I will send you to any specialist I can find. We are going to get, we'll try treatments and therapies and medications. We're going to get to the bottom of this. That's the kind of doctor we want who makes every effort to help us. And that's the only way we're able, able to accomplish anything is if we make every effort to do so. And it doesn't matter what you're talking about. If, if you really want to lose weight, you make every effort to do that. Stay away from the dessert table or whatever. If you really want to get in shape, then you make every effort to do that and you go to the gym and you work out. If you want to learn French, you make every effort to immerse yourself in whatever it takes to get French into your mind and out of your mouth. If you want to learn to play the saxophone, you make every effort. And what is it that that motivates us to make every effort? It's something we care about. It's important to us. If it's important to us, we are far more likely to make an effort to do it. And that means if it's important to us, we're willing to, to sacrifice. We're willing to give up some things that we might want to do Because we know that the only way we can really accomplish this is if we don't do that. And that's hard for us. It really comes back to, is it something that's important? Is it something we really want to do? I grew up in a family where we didn't have weapons around. We didn't have guns, any of those things. I mean, I guess you... Depends on what you call some of the things my sister used on me. If you wanted to call those weapons, that would be different. But that's a whole other discussion. 
it, we didn't have weapons in our home. And I, I was thinking about my family, and I, for a long time, I didn't know of anyone in my family that owned a gun. Anyone that I knew. An extended family. I have a cousin now who has one of the largest buck knife collections in all of the Midwest and the Eastern Seaboard. So I'm guessing he might have some guns, but I don't know. I'm just putting that, those two things together. He's got a thousand knives. Maybe he's got a couple of shotguns lying around too. But so, you know, this is my background. Grew up in the city, didn't know anything about guns. The first church we served out of seminary was in southwest Wisconsin. In, it was such a rural place, it makes Houghton look like a metropolis. You had to drive 12 miles to get to anything that you wanted to buy. The only thing closer was a meat processing plant. And there were two things that you could almost always guarantee about people that lived in that part of, of Wisconsin. One is that they were probably connected to the dairy industry in some form. Either they milked cows, they drove a milk truck, or they worked at Wisconsin dairies in town, or they retired from one of those jobs. There were a few others, but m- the majority of people. And the second thing was that they went deer hunting. Deer hunting season in Wisconsin is only nine days, and it's intense, really intense. So, you know, I get to this church. We started in August. By the time November rolls around, it starts the Saturday before Thanksgiving. The guys are saying, you got to go deer hunting with us. you got to go deer hunting with us. I'm thinking, how can I talk them out of this? But I couldn't think of a good reason. I thought, okay, I'll go. It's your, your life that's at stake, you know. I mean, the, this end of the gun isn't going to hurt me like that end might hurt you. So we get out there early in the morning, probably 6 o'clock, you know, as it's, it's breaking dawn. And they position me near this little cabin and say, you just wait here. The deer come by here all the time. Fine, okay. So for the next four or five hours, I probably saw 20, 30, 40 deer. And I shot at all of them. <laughs> I'm not even sure I hit a tree, much less a deer. And I decided, as uh, this morning is going on and I'm missing and missing and missing, first of all, I thought, I'm not sure what I'd do if I hit, if I shot a deer, I'd probably cry. But, uh, <laughs> but I decided in that moment that if you want to hunt deer, you really need to know how to shoot a gun. Uh, that's kind of basic level, right? And if you want to learn how to shoot a gun, you need to practice shooting a gun. And if you're going to practice, you probably ought to own your own gun and then spend time out on the shooting range. And I decided I didn't really like deer hunting that much. And I didn't ever hunt again. And I think sometimes in the church we have that mindset about our relationship with Christ. Is that it, it's, it's nice, I like hanging out with people, but I'm not that serious about it. It's not that important to me. There are other things that are important to me, but that's not all that important to me. And we have a tendency to let it go. And we don't make every effort because it's not important to us. And Peter is saying, but if you want to know the blessing of God in your life, if you really want to be resurrection people, you got to make this effort. You have to invest yourself. It has to be a passion in your life. That's the only way you're going to get to where you want to be. And yes, it starts with God's grace, but he expects us to respond to that and invest ourselves and cooperate with him in the process of growing. And it's not just confirm your calling in a general sense. It's not just make every effort sort of nebulously. He says in verse, beginning in verse 5, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. 
And he talks about possessing these qualities in increasing measure. And when you do, then you have knowledge that allows you to be productive and effective. If you want to live a productive, effective life for God, if you want to have, if you want to have a bearing on the world, if you want to have, make any kind of difference in the kingdom of God, then you have to make every effort to bring these characteristics into your life. And again, they start with God, but we have to want them. We have to want God to plant those in us. It's not a coincidence that he starts with faith and ends with love. Faith is the foundation for our relationship with Christ. At some point, we come to trust Christ that his way is better than not going his way. And often, we just want to sit there. Now, for a lot of people, we talk about, you know, we, if we could just love more. And you hear that from not just Christians, but all over the world. And loving is better than hating. But love without Christ, as Joey mentioned from Francis Chan, is, is empty. It's always going to fall short. What we're looking for is love that is rooted in the faith that we have in Christ in us. I think often our issue is not that we're trying to love without faith. But I think often our issue is we're trying to have faith and not all that interested in going any further. We have this image in our minds that we want to, we want to step inside the door. I mean, we want to be in the kingdom. Because the consequences of that are not good. But we want to be in the kingdom. But we want to hang out as close to the door as we possibly can. Because honestly, we kind of like this stuff over here. We like the things of this world. And, and those things are a real passion for us. And we're here because we feel like we have to be. But we're not really making every effort. And you know you're making every effort. You know something is happening when your desire is to keep moving further and further away from the door toward Christ. So that faith results in love. I mean, it's not surprising that love is the end. Love is Jesus. Jesus is love. He says the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything the scriptures teach us Hang on those two commandments. Love. And God is calling us to invest ourselves and to be passionate about more than just mediocrity. Because he wants to do so much more in us than we can even visualize. But we limit his work in us because we're passionate about other things instead of about him. I think God knows our struggle. You know, he, he understands the, the difficulties. And, and I don't think we, we struggle intentionally. I don't think we, we as, as someone I read recently said, when we get up in the morning, I don't think we, we, we think to ourselves, how can I avoid growing spiritually today? You know, I, I don't think we say to ourselves, how can I distance myself from anything that might help me be more like Jesus today? But we just get so involved in the world so involved in life, good things, important things. But they become more important than the most important things. And the activity and the busyness and the demands, all of a sudden we realize we're totally entwined in the ideas 
and the strivings and the yearnings of this world. And Peter says, part of our problem, maybe the heart of the problem is we're nearsighted. We're blind. We've forgotten all the things God has done because we're so focused on what's right here. When I read him talking about being nearsighted, I resonate with that because I am nearsighted. When I take my glasses off, I can't even see the big E at the chart at the doctor's office. I cannot distinguish any of your faces right now, even here in front. If I didn't know that was Paul and Debbie sitting there, I wouldn't be able to tell you that was Paul and Debbie sitting there. I can't, I can't read the words on the screen. If I were outside, I probably couldn't tell the difference between a deer and a frog. You know, I, I, I just cannot see. But I can see up close. And, and often I will, when I'm reading, I'll take my glasses off because it just feels a little less strained. And, and I read. Now, the book's got to be kind of close, but, but, you know, I can read. But when I'm reading and that book is in front of my face, I'm oblivious to everything else going on around me, everything else going around outside. Because I can't see. And my focus is right here. And spiritually, many of us are just short-sighted, nearsighted. And our focus is so much on what's right in front of us, on, on making sure that we are gaining what we want from this world. And we're missing all the things that God is doing around us and all the things God wants to do for us and through us. We've forgotten who God is. We've forgotten what God has done for us in Christ. We've forgotten that we are redeemed people and that we are resurrection people. Because our focus has become so narrow and so tight and so close. Christopher Hall in his, in his book, Worshiping with the Church Fathers, says that it's kind of a sobering thing to realize that from the patristic viewpoint, what they consider spiritual sickness looks an awful lot like what we call normal human life. Hectic, frenetic, Self-absorbed. And we don't do it intentionally. But we forget. And we get our vision so close, we miss what God is doing. A while back, someone gave me an article that was... um, written by Fred Karpov, who's a professor of piano and ensemble at Syracuse University. The title of the article is Renting Versus Owning. It's, it's a short article, but very fascinating. He said what, what triggered this for him was he went to the National Conference on Piano Pedagogy. And the presenter was talking about how people come to him all the time and say, I used to play the piano. I used to play the piano. And he says, I interpret that as I was a renter. And he says, what, what, tr- what I want for you to do is to go back to your students and to try to make the piano something they own rather than rent. And Karpov says that, talks about his 15-year-old daughter who went to a four-week camp where they, were, they had to play the piano three hours a day. He said he and his wife were a little concerned because they barely could get her to play 20 minutes a day. 
But while she was there during those four weeks, something changed in her. And after, when the camp was over, they went to the conference and, and uh, he was one of the presenters and the family came to hear one of his presentations. And afterwards, as often happens, he was up front gathering with materials. People were talking with him, having some conversation. And soon the room cleared out and he heard the strains of, of one of Debussy's pieces coming from an adjoining room. And, and as he made his way over, he sort of looked into the room and he noticed a young lady all by herself practicing that piece and it was his daughter and he said everything changed in our home from that point on because now we were negotiating and fighting about who got to play the piano so they had to schedule these things because she always wanted to take my practice time and she, we had, our conversations changed she'd come to me and say dad do you think I could play that that Rachmaninoff prelude like my friend played at camp and he said what's amazing is that not only is she learning to play classical music, she's developing her whole repertoire and understanding of music in general. And she's playing uh, show tunes and, and pop music, and she's doing it from ear as well as lead sheets. And he said, actually, she's better at it than I am. And he says, you know, if, he's a, it's early yet. But I'm, I'm sensing that she's beginning to make a down payment on ownership. And he says, you know, for those of us who love the piano, at some point in time, we make the transition from being renters to owners. It begins with just a little spark of, I think that's something I'd like to do. And as it begins to get into you and as it, as it begins to become a passion for you, you linger at the piano just a little bit longer. And you find yourself looking for another moment where you can go through that piece one more time. And, and, and the spark begins to take, begins to, to flame. And he says, well, you can't always explain it. And, and, and you can't always see it. But you realize that for people who love the piano, it becomes a part of us. And we're no longer renters. As we think about our journey with Christ, think about our passions, our yearnings, our, our thoughts. Are we renters or owners? Are making every effort take the grace that God has given us and to let him make us more and more every day resurrection people. It's one of the most important decisions any of us will ever make. Let's pray.
Father, you know that too often we we settle for being spiritual renters. We hear your call to be so much more. And to live in your peace and joy and contentment and strength and love. Father, show us this day and every day how we might make every effort to take the grace you've given us to open our lives to let you create us as you intended us to be. pray this through our risen Lord. Amen. In recognition that we are in the season of Easter and the importance of the resurrection and each of our lives in this world. I'm going to invite you to stand and join in singing together hymn number 177, I Know That My Redeemer Lives.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.